Welcome to Accelerating Government with Act IAC on Federal News Network. Now your host, Dave Winogren. Welcome to another episode of Accelerating Government. For over 40 years, the American Council for Technology and Industry Advisory Council has served a unique position in the federal marketplace as a nonprofit whose purpose is to bring together government and industry leaders to accelerate government mission outcomes through collaboration, leadership, and education. This year marks the 20th anniversary of the passage of the E-Government Act, landmark legislation for the federal information technology market. On today's show, we're joined by some icons in the federal technology business. Collectively, they have held numerous senior positions in industry and the executive and legislative branches of government. Listening even a handful of their prior titles would consume the entire first segment of our show. So today we'll just focus on their current titles and the former title that ties them inextricably to the eGov Act. I am delighted to be joined today by great friends and extraordinary leaders. Karen Evans is the Managing Director of the Cyber Readiness Institute and former Administrator of the Office of E-Government and Information Technology at the Office of Management and Budget, OMB. Welcome to the show, Karen. Oh, I'm excited to be here, Dave. This is going to be fun. Excellent. Mark Foreman is the Executive Vice President, Enterprise Optimization and Transformation at Dynamic Integrated Services, and another former Administrator of the Office of E-Government and Information Technology at OMB. Thanks for joining us, Mark. Great to be here. Robert Shea is the National Managing Principal for Public Policy at Grant Thornton and a former Associate Director of OMB. Thanks for joining us, Robert. Thank you, Dave. I'm telling my kids you call me an icon. <laughs> there you go. And it is well-deserved. And last but certainly not least is Dave Pounder, the Executive Director, the Center for Data-Driven Policy at the MITRE Corporation and former Director of Information Technology Management Issues at the Government Accountability Office, or GAO. Thanks for being on the show, Dave. Well, thank you, Dave. Pleasure to be here. Excellent. It's great to have you all on the show. It's quite a momentous occasion to look back on the enactment of the eGov Act, which was groundbreaking at the time. And on today's show, we'll talk a little bit more about what it was like then, what got done, and where do we go from here. And so let's get started. Why don't we start with some context setting? Mark, we'll start with you. What was the environment like in the federal technology market when the eGov Act was being formulated? Well, this was the dot-com era. President Bush had just been elected. Um, it was the beginning of 2001. Everybody may recall there was a tremendous amount of money being spent on information technology, both because of Y2K and because of the dot-com boom. Now, the federal government had been on the Internet for, at that point, probably about six years. And so there was dramatic, very unorganized use of the Internet. President Bush had a concept of making the government citizen-centered, not agency-centered, which meant look at, at things the way that companies, large companies that were becoming into the dot-com era, were looking across their product lines to uh, really organize around the customer. The Congress, on the other hand, didn't really know how far the federal government had come at that point to go onto the Internet. And so the initial versions of things like the EGOV Act or creating a federal CIO, there had been CIOs in the agencies created by the Clinger Cone Act in the mid-90s, but there was no federal CIO. So Congress looked at, should they create a federal CIO? Should the focus be on business transformation or infrastructure? And how do we get the government on the internet? Now, we early on started out to look at how far the government had come on the internet. And there were literally tens of thousands of websites and somewhere around 45 million pages of 
material on the internet from the federal government at that point. So uh, this was the dichotomy. Do you organize the federal government to take advantage of the internet and leverage e-business practices? Or do you tell the government to get more stuff on the internet and as that evolve, um, somehow figure out how to better use the internet? Very good. Karen, how about you? What's your reflection about that time? I'm listening to Mark and saying, yeah, I remember that part, but I'm going to flip it from being inside the agency. So I was a career person at this time, still career ranks, not even SES at this point. And I remember getting the executive order from the Clinton administration. So when Mark is talking about like all the websites, our goal was to put up as many websites as we could. It was to put out like every program got a website and it was you know, you wanted to be on the internet, you were putting those things out there. And then the other piece that was going on at that point was it, the improvement in government, right? And it, we were getting hammer awards. So remember the hammer awards that we used to get because the toilet seat cost so much money and all this other great stuff. And so we were working on those initiatives too, about how do we reach out to the citizens to be able to streamline the work and that was all being sponsored through the vice president's office so so it was like get on the internet and you know how can we come up with these really cool ideas to streamline things and then use technology and we were watching all the dot-com proliferation i still remember the one commercial where the sock was the pet that was talking to, and I said, man, if this company makes it, I am leaving government and I'm gonna start my own company. That company didn't make it, so I stayed in government, but that was the environment. That that was the environment. We were really working hard to to put a lot out and then to identify these, these projects that were coming from the ground up that we could streamline what's happening within the government. It was the whole NPR, but I still have my hammer award in case you wanna see it. Very good, very good. Robert, where were you in 2002? What do you remember about that time? Well, I just I just want to note that Karen Evans did leave government and start her own company. So, uh, you know, it was foreshadowing. You know, your question was about the context. I was, like Mark, was transitioning from the Senate Government Affairs Committee to OMB. The, the, and, and to Mark's point about Congress not really knowing how to deal with all of this, there was a point in time where legislation was barreling through Congress to give the government printing office the authority to approve anything published or removed from the internet. Now imagine a single entity um, having that authority. That's one way to completely bring the leveraging this new cool tool called the internet to a grinding halt. But the Government Accountability Office, and Dave will talk more of this, I'm sure, did a, a great service by articulating both the challenges and opportunities associated with evolving technology. And Joe Lieberman and his lead staffer on this, Kevin Landy, were the initial drivers in the need to improve the governance over information technology and the internet in particular to both improve government service delivery, but also to do that more efficiently. Everybody referenced the proliferation of websites. That also came at the time when President Bush, who articulated a vision for transforming government, including leveraging technology, July 9th, 
2000 in Philadelphia. I remember because I worked on it and my daughter was born that day. So it's a, <laughs> it's a weird bureaucratic fact. But the combination of those two things really led to the opportunity to enact what, what in retrospect was a pretty landmark piece of legislation, no matter how arcane it looks today. And Dave, let's, uh, let's round it out. Tell us a little so, bit about the context for you, this important Yeah, so the, con the context for me, and Robert referred to this a bit, you know, there was a, a ton of momentum with the Clear Cone Act in 1996, and CIOs were all engaged and fired up and the whole bit. And I think, you know, we, and Mark, you mentioned the Y2K era and the whole bit, and I think the Congress kind of looked at this as kind of jump-starting the CIO position again. And there, was a, there were many discussions about this you know, administrator for the EGov office and the central, a federal CIO. And I think when you look at the federal CIO and the CIO council, the vision there was to provide leadership on some of these government-wide initiatives, and especially too, to create more synergies with the various CIOs across the departments and agencies through the CIO council. Again, I think a lot of that occurred naturally, Dave, post-Klinger Cohen, but I think some of that slowed down and it wasn't always to the extent we wanted it. And I th think that is what Congress was really looking for, get better leadership out of OMB and to really have these CIOs more, work in a more synergistic fashion across departments and agencies and leverage lessons learned and, and things like that. Well, we'll stick with you, Dave. We've got a couple minutes left before we have to go to a break. How hard was it to get the act enacted and what was one early challenge that you had to face? You know, I think clearly, you know, getting the, it was, get, getting it enacted wasn't, you know, I think everyone did their homework. I think some of the key staffers that were mentioned, and you can go back over the years, Klinger Cohen, EGov, fast forward it to FACARA. There's a lot of good staffers that worked real hard on this, but I think the endorsement too from, you know, those in the administration that really wanted to see, I think Mark at the time, what it was almost 60 billion spent on IT. I think it was up for $50 billion. And, uh, you know, everyone really wanted to see a better return on the investment for the American public. And I, and I do think a big thing here, too, that I look, when I look back on what was intended with this act in 2002, the tie to mission performance and really making the CIO community not an order taker, but a real um, a, a business partner uh, with the agency leadership. I think that's really where what Congress envisioned and, and really wanted to get out of this, Dave. Yeah, and I guess we'll do foreshadowing for, for follow-on segments to the rest of the show, but uh, 60 billion has such, since grown to 90 billion over 20 years as IT just continues to have a super prominent role in all the work that we do. We're gonna have to take a short break now, and when we return, we'll continue our conversation with Karen Evans, Mark Foreman, Robert Shane, Dave Pounder, all current industry executives and former government leaders who drove the implementation of the EGov Act. I'm Dave Wintergren, and you're listening to Accelerating Government, brought to you by ACT-IAC on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Accelerating Government, brought to you by ACT-IAC on Federal News Network. I'm Dave Wintergren, and today we're talking about the 20th anniversary of the EGov Act, the groundbreaking legislation that created the position now known as the Federal CIO, codified the Federal CIO Council, launched important new work in digital transformation, shared services, customer experience, and gave new imperatives and energy 
the cybersecurity and the future of the technology workforce, as well as performance management and integration. Our guests for today's show are Mark Foreman, the Executive Vice President of Enterprise Optimization and Transformation at Dynamic Integrated Services and a former federal eGov administrator. Robert Shea, National Managing Principal of Public Policy at Grant Thornton and former Associate Director of OMB. Dave Pounder, Executive Director of the Center for Data-Driven Policy at the MITRE Corporation and former Director of Information Technology Management Issues at GAO. And Karen Evans, Managing Director of the Cyber Readiness Institute and also a former federal eGov administrator. We're going to start each segment or the next couple of segments with a lightning round question. And so our lightning round for this segment is going to be name one or two things that are groundbreaking about the provisions of the eGov Act. And we'll start with Karen. Privacy impact assessments. I think that that was groundbreaking. And when you look at everything that's going on, the forethought that they have for that, that to me, I would say the privacy impact assessments. Very good, Dave. So two things, Dave, I would say bolstering the CIO role and the risk-based approach to information security. Excellent, Robert. Dave mentioned this earlier, but the focus on mission and, and measuring the impact of these investments on the performance of agencies. But I also think that moved the ball down the field on cybersecurity. That was a sustained attention to cybersecurity was beginning to take hold at this time. And Mark? I think creation of the, the role of somebody within the management side of OMB to focus on IT. I agree with what everybody said before, and uh, and, I, and I think what we've talked about essentially are the dimensions of this. There's just to highlight this: there was the deputy director for management of OMB. The office of federal financial management was headed by what's called the com control the controller. There was the office of federal procurement policy, but everybody knew, um, and it was part of the management agenda in the Bush administration that IT had become fundamental to the management of the federal government. So this was really groundbreaking to say there was going to be an official, now the official wasn't Senate confirmed and there is a whole story behind that, but the, the point is that there was that equivalent management focus within OMB, understanding the role of information technology, not just information policy, which is part of it, but the role of technology in the management of government. And, uh, and so let's build on that theme. There's so many important provisions within the act, but let's just cover a couple of things. I'll, I'll do this next question for Mark and then Karen, you know, created the eGov office. We created the foundation of what's now the office of the federal CIO. And we, and we formalized in statute the, the role of the federal CIO council and, and the responsibilities of the agency CIOs. But Mark and Karen, talk, Mark, we'll start with you. Talk a little bit more about the importance of that part of the eGov act. The office actually was set up as part of the president's management agenda. And then I was hired in at that time as an associate director, but there was no formal role in statute. We went through a growing experience at OMB because uh, OMB has a cadre of slots that it doesn't fill as, as people rotate in and out of agencies, but they'd never really created a new office. I think it'd been 1990 or 92 when the, uh, Office of Federal Procurement Policy. I think that was the last one, maybe Office of Federal Control. So just figuring out how to set up an office was a revelation. And we did it with a structure around portfolios, uh, the federal enterprise architecture, uh, a focus on cybersecurity and specialist. And at that time, I basically had an agreement with uh, John Graham, who was running the Office of Information Regulatory Affairs, that his staff would become my 
staff and and we were working towards that. So we went from zero uh, with contractors to about 40 people in a very short period of time. But you can't really sustain that in the White House because Congress hates giving money to the White House unless there's a legal basis for an office. And so that's, that's, I think, one of the key elements of creating that office is Congress saying, yes, we want this to be a formal office. We're going to fund it. It's not just one administration's initiative. And that happened with some authorities that before had in part rested with the, uh, the director or deputy director, but now we're being shifted to the administrator. Also important in that role. And Karen, just as you followed Mark, into the role of eGov administrator, we'll let you follow on the heels of him. Maybe talk a little bit more about the importance of the role of the CIO Council and, and your work as the eGov administrator working with them. Okay, so this is a fascinating question, which by the way, I wanna say from a lightning round, I gave like one concept. So <laughs> I'm just like, I'm not going first anymore, but- <laughs> But it was a great point. It, it was one we it, might it, have otherwise had time to cover it. it it's okay, cause I, it's all cool, but- We all, we all have different definitions of lightning. I know, I see that. And so anyway, uh, the question though is really interesting because when I was brought on board, my goal, what I was told was my goal was to institutionalize the eGov office and the eGov functions, both within OMB and across the federal government. So institutionalized means a lot of different things to a lot of different people as well. But Mark did hit on a piece that to this day is still a critical piece of how the federal CIO office works in conjunction with the OIRA administrator. They are joined at the hip because of the way the statutes are tied between the Paperwork Reduction Act and the EGOV Act. And this is definitely inside baseball. So I'll be interested to hear how Mark talks about a little bit more about this, but they are tied together forever. And, um, and, and it's really, it, it, it's interesting and the agreements and the partnerships that you have to have both at the political level and then at the career level in order to be able to sustain the office. And then making sure that the agencies see value for what you are giving. You know, we are talking to a group who Dave has an interesting view, I think, of OMB, and he started with that as well, what Congress's view of OMB and what their role should be. But I do know that Clay Johnson, who was the deputy director at that time, his view of our role was that we were supposed to be helping the agencies to achieve their performance outcomes. Because we did, the Bush administration also put the president's management agenda scorecard, and we were that was how we measured success. And it was, what are the milestones? How do you get to the long-term goals for those performance outcomes? And uh, if we really, I remember looking at this, it was like 47 new statutory responsibilities that had to be implemented, as well as doing privacy and cybersecurity. And the other piece, which doesn't get a lot of glory in this is records management. There was a whole piece associated with federal records and federal records management, uh, which nobody wanted to lose sight of because if you do all this technology piece, you had to preserve the history 
going forward so that the American people would know how decisions were being made and how all that was working so that you would have a record for history. So it was a lot of fun. It's a lot of work. It continues to be a lot of work, but just the nuances of OMB and getting the office established within the, the OMB structure, and then also making sure that people saw value both on the Hill and within the agencies was really how I viewed what my boss meant by institutionalizing the office. Very good. Robert, I'm going to ask you the impossible task in, in like a minute, and then we'll take a break and we'll come back and finish if we need to. Another key provision of the act was the focus on performance integration, performance management, and perhaps one of the first shout outs for customer experience, a topic that you've been extremely passionate about. Tell, tell us a little bit about your view of those priorities from the act. Well, I, I think they're, I think it's a critical value that was embraced in the law, that we don't invest in technology because technology is cool. We invest in technology to accomplish something on behalf of the American people. And the leapfrogging that industry did in serving American citizens, global citizens, was not being kept, the government did not keep pace with that acceleration. So it, it this really was an opportunity to not only force the government to improve its accountability for driving these investments, but ensuring that they were aligned to important policy outcomes and improving the experience for the American citizen. Now, whatever service levels American citizens bemoan today, it is leapfrog, it's a great deal better than it was at the time the e-government was enacted. I can't attribute it all to the e-government act, but this really did corral and bring some sense of organization to investments in improving IT and the, and the customer experience. Okay. I also want to point out real quick that the overlap eGov functions with OIRA is a problem, and the, but that was something that I think the drafters, I was among them, were, felt their hands were tied uh, because of the controversy that, that would arise if we tried to unpack some of the functions that were assigned in statute to OIRA. We'll take a short break, and when we return, we're going to continue our conversation on the 20th anniversary of the EGOV Act. You're listening to Accelerating Government, brought to you by ACT-IAC on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Accelerating Government, brought to you by ACT-IAC on Federal News Network. I'm Dave Wintergren, and on today's episode, we mark the 20th anniversary of the passage of the landmark EGOV Act, of 2002. I'm honored to be joined for this conversation by Robert Shea, National Managing Principal, Public Policy at Grant Thornton and former Associate Director of OMB, Dave Pounder, Executive Director of the Center for Data-Driven Policy at the MITRE Corporation and former Director of Information Technology Management Issues at GAO, Karen Evans, Managing Director of the Cyber Readiness Institute and former Federal eGov Administrator, and Mark Foreman, Executive Vice President, Enterprise Optimization and Transformation at Dynamic Integrated Services, and also a former eGov Administrator, the precursor, of course, to today's federal government CIO. We're going to do another lightning round. This time, we're going to take a look at it's uh, 20 years later. And to paraphrase many a GAO report, much has been accomplished, but work still needs to be done. So we're going to do another lightning round. I'd like to ask each of you to identify one thing in the federal technology market that has significantly changed over that time, and one thing that's remained the same. 
And Karen, we'll start with you. I would say the threat landscape has significantly changed in 20 years. So that's the cyber tie. And um, what has remained the same, we're still trying to solve the same problems because the mission and the business functions of the agencies are the same. Very good. Dave, how about you? Yeah, I, I will piggyback off the of Karen on this from a cyber perspective. I think, you know, it set us down a good course from risk-based approach to cybersecurity. And it's, although this is always a challenge, we accomplished a lot and continue to do that in the federal government. The one thing I, I feel like when I went back and looked at the act, I still think we, we have such a challenge coordinating the tech, our technology acquisitions with the procurement processes. And I still think that is such a huge challenge. And We've made a little progress there, but clearly not enough, Dave. Very good, Robert. So I'd say the thing that's made that's changed the most is the phone. The computing power that we have at our fingertip is unbelievable. I'll never forget somebody picking up the phone on their BlackBerry. They might, thought they might as well be talking to their shoe. And I would say that the thing that has not changed is our ability to keep up with the demand for people with the right skills to leverage the technology on behalf of the American people. And Mark. Well, I think the uh, era of cloud computing and platform services, low-code, no-code, Lambda, and other serverless computing models have just increased the ability, done right, to get so much more productivity and customer service out of the dollar spent on IT. It's transformational if you can mix IT with the business transformation. The thing that hasn't changed is the, the budget, the spending, the focus of resources is still dominated. 80, 85, some agencies, 88% of the resources being spent on legacy applications and systems. So it's, it's just so hard. It continues to be really hard to shift from that legacy environment to take advantage of today's technology. Dave, another important aspect of the act was the focus on ensuring outcomes and providing sound oversight, outcome-based oversight, if you will, and, and delivering meaningful reports that would help make a difference. And why don't you talk to us a little bit about the importance of those provisions of the act? Yeah, so Dave, you mentioned the reports. I think accountability was really stressed throughout this act through the extensive reporting. And I, and I do think it was appropriate that at that time with the report. If you look back on it now and look back on some of the reports, there's probably a streamlining today that needs to occur because some of these st are still on the books. But there was a lot of accountability with the streamlined reporting. The other thing that I found really interesting, and Karen, you, you kind of bore the brunt of this, Congress actually, you know, we used to do a lot of audits at GAO looking at individual agencies. We started getting a lot more requests targeted towards the federal CIO's office and OMB. So, Karen, you remember the times when I'd come by and ask about the management watch list and the high-risk list. Lucky, and, lucky Karen, and, lucky and, Karen. And those type, but, but it, was, it was, I thought it was really a compliment to what you were doing because there were many good things you were doing on a government-wide basis with those lists, with troubled acquisitions and the like. And we weren't just trying to find the dirt on the troubled acquisitions, but we wanted to see progress on improving those acquisitions so that mission performance could ultimately be improved. But there was a big shift, Dave, at the time to, and I think it continued from that point forward. You know, I always had three to five jobs where I was looking at OMB and the federal CIO's office from that point forward. The management watch list, Robert, you need to bring up all the congressional hearings with Senator Coburn. That was born from a Senator Coburn hearing, the management watch list. I mean, I think it does underscore the importance of knowing someone's watching. 
you know, the, exactly. the intersection, the, the intersection of the excitement of this being new with the knowledge that people were watching and really thought this was important, uh, sort of provided some jet fuel for the launch of, of these efforts. Yeah, there is no doubt the things that we measure, the things we focus our time and attention on, we could all re remember back to Y2K and nobody wanted to go to the meetings, at least for me, nobody wanted to go to the meetings with John Koskinen and the Secretary of Defense and tell him I hadn't done anything in the last month to get my systems ready. So definitely the right kind of oversight matters a lot. Uh, one of the hallmarks of the EGov Act was the implementation of the EGov Strategy Task Force, the Quicksilver Initiative. I remember it well. I remember volunteering my deputy, Rob Carey, to go serve on the Quicksilver team. And, uh, and of course, that led to the stand-up of our eGov initiatives and the lines of businesses which were truly trailblazers for the future shared services and digital transformation priorities that we still see at work in the government today. Mark, let's start with you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that work? Well, just a, a little background on this. Um, I had come out of the IT industry after I left the Hill and uh, was lucky enough when I was at IBM for a few months to be anointed as they were starting their e-business initiatives to be um, the guru for the public sector, first in the U.S. and then globally. And uh, we developed a methodology, which ultimately then all the other consulting firms were using, that was based on a textbook at that time called Unleashing the Killer App. So the concept for, for large organizations, not new startup dot coms, but your organizations, um, companies like big organizations, like the government that were going to the internet, was to develop a strategy focused around your key customer segments, would look across the company and identify your highest priorities. It's, it was a very rapid methodology, a 30 day, you know, basically six week uh, methodology for uh, picking your strategic priorities and understanding that there were two kinds. One were initiatives like applications and some were infrastructural like identity and access management and security architecture, that type of thing. We made a strategic decision, which was uh, a gamble. Most presidential task forces or senior White House task forces, you pulled together political appointees. We decided we would go find out, find roughly 70 people was what we sized it at, who had done major reforms. And some of them had been chastised, all of them had scar tissue, so they would know what it would take to do transformation in the government. And that paid off immensely. So we used WTOP, we used Federal Computer Week, we used outreach to employees, and we got literally hundreds of ideas. People broke up into teams. Karen led one of the teams. Karen was really so dominant in um, her ability to make this task force work. And, and I think we were so excited when she ended up as the administrator after I left because she knew this, this uh, construct of these portfolios and looking across agencies at these, these what we now call shared services initiatives. But that's really what came out of it. A look around the citizen or the business uh, state and local government and federal employees to see what were the high payoff initiatives. In negotiating the EGov Act, that wasn't where Senator Lieberman started, but it's where everybody ended up because I think they saw the business cases that were put together, the priorities, how the President's Management Council was bought in on it, and to this day, the operating model to fund those initiatives and keep them moving forward is still in existence. There's so much more to talk about. But we are going to have to take a short break. 
And when we return, we're going to continue our conversation on the 20th anniversary of the eGov Act with four outstanding federal technology leaders, Robert Shea, Dave Powner, Karen Evans, and Mark Foreman. I'm Dave Wintergren, and you're listening to Accelerating Government, brought to you by ACT-IAC on Federal News Network. I'm Justin Doubleday, host of Inside the IC, sponsored by Microsoft Federal. My show features interviews with leaders and top thinkers in the intelligence community. We'll break down how agencies are adapting to new technologies and confronting 21st century challenges. Listen live on 1500 AM in the Washington, D.C. area and everywhere at federalnewsnetwork.com. You can also subscribe to Inside the IC on Podcast One, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your shows. When we need help, we turn to government. When government needs help, they turn to Federal News Network. For news on the federal pay raise. To learn how other agencies handle IT modernization. To see how Congress funds my agency. For changes to my TRICARE benefits. Federal News Network. Helping feds meet their mission. Welcome back to Accelerating Government with ACT-IAC. I'm Dave Wendergren, and today we're looking at all of the outcomes that have occurred since the passage of the eGov Act 20 years ago, while also looking forward to what's next for federal technology. I'm joined for this conversation by a group of outstanding leaders who were in the room where it happened 20 years ago and continue to make a big and positive difference in the federal technology market. They are Dave Powner, Executive Director of the Center for Data-Driven Policy at the MITRE Corporation and former Director of Information Technology Management Issues and GAO. Karen Evans, Managing Director of the Cyber Readiness Institute and former federal CIO. Mark Foreman, Executive Vice President, Enterprise Optimization and Transformation at Dynamic Integrated Services and also a former federal CIO. And Robert Shea, National Managing Principal, Public Policy at Grant Thornton and former Associate Director of OMB. As we were going into break, Mark was talking about the Quicksilver initiatives and the, and the you know, the beginning of the eGov and line of business work. And I'd like to maybe turn to Karen. You you look at life from both sides now, as they say at that time, because you were agency CIO and then came in to be the federal CIO. And so why don't you tell us a little bit about your view of that work and how it worked and the CIO council's role. So I think it's it's important, especially when when people are listening to this is, and I know it's a little bit about my personal journey, but on the Quicksilver Task Force, I was only a GS-15 and I like really worked hard to insert myself into that task force because I knew that that was going to be transformational and what it was attempting to do. So, um, so Mark is kind in some of this stuff, but I was also pretty disruptive, I think, in that task force about um, the way- imagine that. I can't imagine, right? (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, like the questions that they were asking and how they made us do different and the way that they went about was really phenomenal because we were running around the city conducting interviews with the highest leaderships of the agencies and these were career people. They were giving us an opportunity to really go forward and say, this is how we would fix the government. So I, I, I can't stress that piece enough. And then September 11th happened because I kept arguing about certain things on grants management and everybody wanted to be focused on natural disasters. And I was like, no, we need to be focused on weapons of mass destruction. And they all thought I was nuts. And then September 11th happened. I remember rewriting the business case to send it over to OMB while I was reconstructing services. And then everything went down. 
And then in that time period, I became the CIO of Department of Energy, and OMB then asked me to be the vice chair of the CIO Council, which was um, an interesting dynamic and in looking at how the CIO Council had evolved and how it was evolving to Dave Pounder's point about do we concentrate efforts there? Do we try to work across the board with everybody? Do we focus internally just within our own department? And so my leadership was like, yeah, go ahead and take on this opportunity. When I went into OMB, Dave, you stepped up and took over the federal CI council and you were the vice chair. And I think the reason why things got accomplished in that time period and how fast they got accomplished and everything that Dave is talking about is because you embraced it as well as the, as the vice chair and as the career leader of that group to ensure that we were all moving in the same direction on all of those initiatives. There were, you know, four portfolios, 24 initiatives, nine lines of business. We had executive orders. We were implementing and transforming government and measuring it all as we were going along. And it wouldn't have happened if the federal CIO council wasn't there. And to this day, I still tell people, you know, policies that were th being thought about within the White House, there was a recognition that it had to run through the federal CIO council first because we had to implement whatever the rest of the policies were because you were going to do it through technology. And I, I just think we can't lose that best practices, that sharing and that leadership that was provided and continues to be provided from the Federal CIO Council. Well, I appreciate that shout out. That was an honor to serve with you. I was the, we got a lot done and it was great to be on that ride together. Um, let's shift our focus to take a look at the future. Where do we go from here? 20 years on from the EGOV Act implementation, let's first look at Congress and say, you know, what should our priorities be in terms of any new or revised legislation? There's been a lot that's been accomplished, but in terms of legislation, it's also in terms of technology modernization work. But what, what's your advice about where to go from here in terms of legislation? And Robert, why don't we start with you? Sure. You know, people make fun of the name, the administrator of the Office of E-Government, and I think that is an, would be an important change to codify that the head of this office is the chief information officer of the United States government, even though I, I see Mark Foreman and Karen having fulfilled those roles. I think rationalizing the responsibilities at OMB is really important, unpacking those functions at OIRA that really ought to be in the office of the CIO is another important thing. But of course, the bottom line is Congress should appropriate more cold, hard cash. Agencies ought to spend it better, but Congress needs to invest a lot more in this really important infrastructure. Very good. Thank you, Robert. Dave, let's go to you. So uh, two things, Dave. I would say in the future, we need to continue to build on leadership in the workforce. And from a, a, the CIO perspective, I, I do think this focus on mission modernization, we've had starts and stops on this over the decades. And, and, I, and I do think if you look at future legislation and the like mission modernization, the technical debt we have with the legacy systems that has been mentioned, uh, the challenges we have with cybersecurity with those legacy systems and the amount of time and resources we spend on them, we're gonna have to really focus on those and make a shift to truly improve uh, mission modernization. We talk about customer experience today 
you know, I think we're going to have a hard time with customer experience with some of these legacy systems that are chugging along. So uh, I know it's the hard work and it's multi-year initiatives and requires a lot of funding, but the mission modernization thing needs a real, uh, you know, jump start to make sure that we, we tackle these things appropriately. And I'm going to give Karen another shout out. I wish we had that watch list in place from administration to administration because I actually think we would probably be better off today had we had that from administration to administration. Very good. Mark, let's go to you next. Three thoughts. Uh, number one, I think we're bleeding the technology modernization fund for basically cybersecurity. And I think there needs to be a cybersecurity crisis response fund or something like that, because uh, I don't think that you can trade off funding modernization for cybersecurity. We need both. And uh, so I think that's one of the things that has to happen. I think the second thing is, and, and I, I think I may have said this on the last program I was on with you, Dave, we got to stop having CIOs come up in the hearings talking about how they're not getting the authority. And we need to get the agency heads and deputy heads and the DDM, the deputy director for management, in front of Congress in hearings saying, so it's now 20 plus years after the Clear Cone Act, why aren't you authorizing your CIO to be the business transformation and modernization leader? You know, why do you make that person a gatekeeper as opposed to a catalyst for change? Essentially, it, asking people why they're not empowered in these hearings is, it, we should know by now, is not paying off. The third thing is, I think if you look at technology trends, you look at the Pandemic Response Accountability Committee report that came out earlier this week, uh, we're rapidly heading towards an integrated benefits form for enrollment. The president talked about reducing time tax. The CX experience is going on in 3,500 different programs. This to me is nuts, having an, an easier enrollment form as if one person would have an easy experience for 3,500 different programs. It's nuts. We need to understand that when you go to places like Amazon to buy stuff, you have one account. You don't have a different Amazon account for everything you buy, and that's the model. Um, now, we know from the benefits.gov, you can do it as one per state or territory. Thank you, Mark. Karen, you get the last word. We've got about 30 seconds left. What would you like to see next in terms of legislation? So I agree with all my colleagues, but I'm going to recommend a specific function, which is I think Congress should have oversight and put legislation into effect that actually forces agencies to shut down systems. Because what happens is we have pilots upon pilots. They become initial operating capabilities. That's all the technical debt everybody's talking about. I think we should measure the shutdown of these systems, which would then drive the mission that everybody's talking about, which would free up money. And I just think we need to drive the shutdown of legacy systems. What a great way to end this. One of my favorite subjects, getting rid of legacy systems no longer useful to us. It was 20 years ago today, well, almost. 
and I had the honor of going along for the ride with a group of outstanding federal technology leaders. We're grateful for their accomplishments and their continuing commitment to the market and for their taking the time to be with us today. Dave Pounder, Karen Evans, Mark Foreman, and Robert Shea, thank you for your leadership, for your friendship, and for taking the time to be on the show. We've heard so much about what can, has been done and what could be done. Stick around for the next episode. I'm Dave Wintergren, and you've been listening to Accelerating Government, brought to you by ActIAC on Federal News Network. Thanks for listening to Accelerating Government with ActIAC. You can listen to this episode and past episodes anytime in your podcast feed. Search for Accelerating Government on Podcast One, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts.